We're going to turn now to God's Word. If you have a Bible with you, you can uh, open up the John, First uh, John, chapter four. And kind of what we've been doing is we walk through First John and we look at different chunks, and we try and describe what's going on there. We try and draw out some of the meaning, some of the big ideas, and. It, we're in 1 John 4, uh, verses 1 through 6, and if, at least in my Bible, the subtitle for this is Testing the Spirits. And that sounds a little bit weird, uh, but Testing the Spirits, in fact, is what John is talking about here. And we're going to spend a few minutes reflecting on what does John mean by testing the spirits. And while this might sound like a weird phrase, what John here is describing is a church community that is surrounded by all sorts of religious pundits. Uh, religious pontificators, people who are claiming to have some sort of insight into things, some sort of wisdom about God and the church and the world. And for us as Christians, uh, we might find ourselves living in a similar context. Uh, A lot of us read books and blogs and articles and daily devotionals and go to conferences and all these sorts of things. And what this passage is telling these people is to be cautious and be discerning in who they listen to. And that, of course, is because the people that are speaking into our lives have an influence on us, the ideas we have, the ways we live. And John is telling his readers they need to be careful about who they allow to influence them. And if I were to think about uh, this topic and what it means for us now in 2021, it's been a difficult year and a half. And if I were to kind of just evaluate what the church has done uh, over the last year and a half, maybe where we want to grow a little bit as the American Christian church, uh, maybe some areas we want to, uh, we are found maybe even a little wanting in, is that we were not as careful as we should have been in who we listened to. And there is a lot of things that we can all have opinions about. There's, of course, a pandemic and restrictions and then a recession. There's also been a very contentious election cycle And then there's been riots and protests and issues about race and justice and all sorts of these things. There are a lot of things that we've had an opportunity to have an opinion about. And there's a lot of voices that we've led into our lives to help us form these opinions. And what this passage uh, relates to us now is how to think discerningly about this process, how to be careful about what voices we allow to help us form our opinions about God, the church, and the world. So that's sort of the the big idea. Uh, I'm going to read our passage, and then we'll spend just a couple minutes reflecting on what John has to say about this. You're welcome to listen along, read along in the bulletin, or follow in your own Bible. This is 1 John 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let me pray for our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that 
It would be to us this morning a lamp for our feet and a light to our path. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're talking about testing the spirits. Uh, Interesting idea. Who do we give a platform to? Who do we uh, allow to inform us and uh, shape our ideas about the world? And John gives us three different criteria for how to think through this whole experience. He tells us one of the things we need to know is that there is a spiritual reality behind the church pundits. But behind the spokespeople of the church, there is a spiritual background. Next, he tells us that we need to test their doctrine. And then lastly, he tells us we need to test how people talk. So we're going to spend a couple minutes reflecting on that in those things in this order. What John tells us first is that there is a spiritual reality behind the spokespeople in his church. What John is describing is a number of religious prophets uh, who were supposedly offering insights into God and the church and the world. And uh, these people uh, were operating out of some sort of religious background, and he wanted the church to know about that. That's, this is how he puts it in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John is saying that these prophets are in some way identified with these spirits. In fact, he seems to equivocate with them, saying that they're almost the same thing. And so John is telling us that there is a religious spokesperson, a communicator, a pundit, who is uh, out there describing their opinions about the church and the world, and that behind them there is some spirit that is associated with them. And these spirits can have some sort of good origin or good orientation, which is from heaven. And there's some sort of one that's a little bit darker. And we want to be associated with the people who John finds uh, most favorable. And as uh, Christians, as we listen to podcasts and watch YouTube videos, I think this spiritual reality is something that we don't always think about. In fact, the uh, Christian missionary Francis Schaeffer once famously quipped, that evangelicals are all closet naturalists. A naturalist means somebody who doesn't really think they need the supernatural to explain the world. And Francis Schaeffer says that Christians, despite their claims to believing in God and uh, his mission in the world, are actually all closet naturalists. And what John is reminding his church here is that behind all these, uh, the input of many different people, Behind their pontification, they are connected to a deeper spiritual reality. And what is implicit in John's statement is what he makes overt in other parts of his writings. And that is that this spiritual reality can really be described as two kinds of kingdoms. There is one kingdom, which is the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of light, where God is working to rule the world in benevolence and infuse it with love and kindness and humility and compassion and that this is the way the world was made and was originally intended to be. And then with the fall, there was an introduction of another kingdom, a rival kingdom that was in competition with God's kingdom, looking to have mastery over the world. And Christ's mission to the world, his incarnation, his death, his resurrection, in many ways are meant to conquer this rival kingdom, to rescue us from its power, and to bring us into his own kingdom. And what John is saying that these religious spokespeople, what we need to keep in mind is that they're actually representatives of one of these two kingdoms. 
that when people are out there forming podcasts and writing blogs and all these sorts of things, we don't want to be naive about this, that they actually have loyalties in one of these two kingdoms. And John is saying, put that on your radar. Know that's a thing. There's no such thing as neutrality when you're reading and listening to these people. He goes on from there and says that we need to actually test to see where their loyalties are. How do you know behind the message where somebody has staked their flag? And he gives us a little test. And the, what he gives us is a doctrinal test. What the, the things that people believe and confess to are how you know where their loyalties actually are. This is what he says in verse 2 and part of verse 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. John is telling us that the main test for these representatives is what he calls uh, is a doctrinal test. And he tells us that doctrinal test is that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. To say that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh means that Jesus is the Christ. He is the true ruler of the world. He has the ultimate claim on the world. And that he has come in a full, uh, he's come as a fully incarnated person to participate in his world. And John is telling us it doesn't matter necessarily what uh, the, the intellectual curiosities of these people. He's saying the things that they confess, uh, the actual uh, place where they stake their own personal beliefs, is what you need to be interested in. And what is striking to me about this is how ridiculously simple it is, right? Jesus Christ came in the flesh. That's all you have to have. That's not a lot. That's like half of a sentence worth of words right there. And John is saying that is enough to know uh, whether, where this person's actual loyalties lie. This is what C.S. Lewis calls mere Christianity. And John is not interested in what these people think about their, their views of church government, their theology of the sacrament. He's not interested in their views of the end times. He's interested in whether they adhere to basic Christianity, basic Christian belief. And what this means is that the church has a very high tolerance for a lot of personalities and a lot of perspectives, right? And so if the test is this bare minimum, a lot of people can come in, right? A lot of people can have something to say, and a lot of people can have a platform to speak into other people's lives. There can be a variety of different uh, theologies that are tolerated in the church, there can also be a variety of personalities, some people that are firebrands, other people that are a little more congenial. And this is a very important principle for the church, that there is meant to be a variety of personalities and a variety of perspectives that are tolerated in, in the church at large. And that's because that the gospel is not just something that connects us to God, it's also something that connects us to each other. So the gospel is not just this, this, uh, this uh, principle that helps us uh, establish a relationship with God, maintain a relationship with God. It's something that connects us to each other. And what happens when God looks at us with all of our weaknesses, all of our deformities, he's asking, do I really want to have a relationship with that person? <laughs> do I really want to have a relationship with John Neville? And he also, not when he looks at me, he looks at Christ. And he says, Christ is sufficient for me to have a relationship with John Neville. Christ is enough for me to have a relationship with somebody who is as weird and deformed as I am. And that's pretty cool. And that's not just a, a tolerance that God has for me. He's actually delighted to know me. He's actually delighted to have a relationship with me. 
The sufficiency of Christ is how God establishes a relationship and maintains a relationship with me and all of us. And what is uh, true about that is also that this same principle is how we do relationship with each other. The church is holy, the church is righteous, and yet we look at each other and we say, oh my gosh, I don't know about that person over there, right? And uh, their temperament doesn't really jive with my temperament, their politics doesn't jive with my politics. And the same principle, the sufficiency of Christ, is the way that we're able to establish and maintain relationships with each other. Is that when we look at each other and look at all the things that make it difficult to have a relationship with each other, we say, Christ counts this person holy, therefore I can treat them like that. It's not the way that we actually perform in our lives, it's the, credit, uh, the credited righteousness of, of Christ to us that allows us to treat each other like this. A very important principle, and this is what John has in mind when he's talking about all these people being involved in the church, all these variety of perspectives and personalities. Well, John goes on from there. He says uh, that these spokespeople, they're supposed to be tested for their doctrine, their mere Christianity that they subscribe to. He also says they're supposed to be examined for how they talk. This is how he puts it in verses 5 and 6. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John is saying that talking and listening feature into how we uh, test these religious spokespeople, these religious pundits. And he starts off by saying that these false prophets have a lot of opinions. They got a lot to say. And uh, they've, they've, uh, they've got a lot of opinions about things they are probably never shy about sharing them. And they seem to have a captive audience and that people just want to soak it all in. Uh, people maybe love sort of the Jerry Springer-esque they bring to their lives. Uh, people maybe see a perceived wisdom, a perceived insight into things. And so these pundits cannot stop talking and the, uh, the, uh, their audience cannot stop soaking it all in. John contrasts that supposedly with the true prophets, but this is what he says, whoever knows God listens to us. He doesn't say whoever knows God listens to the true prophets. He says something interesting. He says whoever knows God listens to us. Makes you wonder what's, what's happening here. Did John just suddenly subtly identify as one of these true prophets that people should be listening to? Does John suddenly think that uh, this, this passage is actually really an argument for why people should take him seriously? And it's certainly possible that that might be what he means. But more likely, the, the common uh, Terry's uh, have said that what he's really talking about is that us is him as an apostle. What John is saying is that uh, people who know God listen to the apostles. Or more practically for us, that means scripture. And the true spokesperson doesn't really care about public speaking circuits and becoming a social media influencer. They really care about pointing people to the scriptures. Uh, they're interested in not boasting in themselves, getting a large following. Uh, they're interested chiefly in taking people to the scriptures. And um, when I think about this last year and um, uh, you know, just one of, the, one of the things I, you know, people ask me, how do I feel about COVID? How's this whole year been? One of the honest feelings I have is I'm very tired of having so many opinions. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of having so many opinions that are so strongly held. 
And what John is kind of describing here is a church community that is not like that. John is describing people who are these, you know, uh, traveling prophets, these traveling speakers who are, aren't actually interested in getting a following, aren't interested in being overly uh, opinionated. They're just interested in getting other people connected to Scripture. And that's one of the things that John tells us we want to be looking for when we pick our favorite, our pet authors, our favorite podcast people to listen to, all these types of things. Uh, it's, it's, are these people actually taking us back to Scripture? John ends by saying this, that the way we know uh, that this criteria he gives, this listening and pointing to Scripture, all this sort of stuff, is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And if you've noticed, in, uh, at least in my Bible and possibly the bulletin, uh, spirit is capitalized. And that's because he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And um, what is happening is that the Spirit is actually working to build up the church, to instruct and edify the church through these spokespeople, through these prophets. And the Spirit is working through them to point to the scriptures. In a like manner, the Spirit ultimately is pointing us to the greater prophet, Jesus himself. The Old Testament anticipates a prophet who would be greater than all the others. The prophet who was both said to be one of their own people, yet said to be speaking as if they had the very voice of God himself. And while these many other prophets will let us down with half-truths and partial wisdom, what John is ultimately interested in is that uh, Jesus, in his words, uh, we allow ourselves to be a captive audience to him. Jesus is a greater prophet that we've been longing for. The prophet who illuminates the world, who speaks comfort in mourning, who offers forgiveness to our wrongs, and who brings us before God himself. Would God give us more of him today and always? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you have revealed yourself in many ways, uh, both in the church and in this world. Ultimately, your revelation is in the gift of your Son, and so we pray that your Spirit would give us the eyes to behold more of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, we're now going to turn to a time of communion. And uh, one of the things that we said is that uh, the church uh, has a high uh, tolerant quotient for other people. The church accommodates many other perspectives and many other personalities. And despite the fact that we have a lot of ways that we're unlike each other, we're still able to have a relationship with each other. And that's kind of a unique church thing. And if you want to know the how behind the what, here's the secret for that. It's that in the church, we're not trying to make each other in our own image. We're actually working to help each other be made in the image of Christ. When we look at the images, the other person's differences, their characteristics, their distinctives, we don't see those as something that has to be conquered, that has to be changed to become more like us, or has to be eliminated. We actually see those as opportunities for someone that God uniquely made to be more uh, deeply and faithfully made into the image of Christ. And the way this is being offered to us to be made more like Christ is actually here at this table. And here at this table, Christ is offering himself, and by faith we spiritually partake in the body and blood of Christ. And as we take in these elements, uh, we become like him, and he indwells us and we indwell him. Well, during COVID, we're doing uh, communion a little bit differently, and I'm sure you all know how to do this much better than I do. And, uh, but uh, my understanding is that we're going to be taking, uh, coming up to receive the elements and then take them together as a community while sitting in our seats. 
Uh, we're going to be starting over in this section. You're encouraged to kind of mosey over this way, come down the, the middle aisle, and then go back to your seat. And likewise with uh, each of these uh, succeeding um, uh, sections of the, the church. And then we'll together at the end uh, partake in these elements. So let me pray for our time together and then we'll all come forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace of your gospel, uh, that your Son has ransomed us from sin and death, and that your Spirit now offers us these blessings that are ours here at this table. We pray that the Spirit would make this more than a mere ceremony, but instead he would take these gospel promises, sealing them in our minds and endearing our hearts to them as well. Would you use this table to make us more like Jesus? It's in his name and the Spirit's power we pray. Amen. We invite